0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds, a weekly rewatch podcast for TV shows, movies, and a comprehensive guide on how not to be taken for all your worth during your next trip to
1: Ferenginar. My name's Nick Farrow. and I'm Mike Kilty. How are you doing today, Mike? It's cold. It's cold. I hate this, but that's what happens in October. So I don't think I should be too upset, but I'm going to be because I just spent an hour outside at. 8.30 30 in the morning watching six year olds play soccer. So six
0: year olds playing soccer at eight in the morning on a cold day.
1: I wonder who would be like, yeah, that is, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. So
0: camping help. people. Camping people love being outside in the morning when it's cold.
1: Fools. Um the weirdos. Yeah, we are we are definitely not campers here. My dad, he has a giant RV like we're going camping. I'm like, no, you're going glamping. What's glamping? <laughs> How are you doing?
0: Oh, not bad. My my morning was also quite early, although not as. I had to go get the kids from my in-law's house. They spent the night. It was Ooh. great. Me and my wife went down to Philly to see a show. We saw The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast live on stage. <laughs> I was taking I was taking notes. Like this is how you this is how you do it professionally. And then in in how many years maybe we could go on tour. But that's actually something my wife is just like, is this what you're I'm like, no, I will never want to go on tour with a podcast. That's but it was called the share your embarrassment tour. So everybody in the room was definitely a little bit embarrassed to be at a Star Trek podcast live. At, uh, we went to the, it was at a city winery. It was a pretty Ooh. nice little place. The food was a little small, but uh, tasty. So we had a good time. It was really fun.
1: Is your wife a Star Trek fan?
0: She sort of is, actually. <laughs> One of the things she prided herself on, although she would definitely not describe it that way, is that when we first met, she, Just all she had to do was watch the first maybe like minute of an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. She could tell you anything that happened. that. She's like she knew that episode by heart. She used to have all of TNG kind of memorized. So like that was one of the shows that we bonded over when we started dating. We like what was the BBC America used to play 18 hour blocks of Star Trek The Next Generation. So we would just turn it on and just watch it in the background, have it playing. So we we would we would watch all those, and then she also watched the movies growing up. Uh, she actually had this beautiful VHS box set of all the Star Trek movies. On the side of each box, when you put them next to each other, it makes a picture of the Enterprise. We actually have it on display in our home.
1: What's a VHS tape? Ah, yeah, well, you should know a VHS. I'm just kidding. I know. I know. <laughs> We were we were cleaning the basement up recently, and my daughter found an old copy of George of the Jungle that I have on VHS. Excellent. And she was like, "What? What is this? It it will not go in our DVD player. <laughs> what, what? What am oh, I supposed to do with this?"
0: My daughter doesn't know how to work DVDs. She wanted to watch Beetlejuice the other day, so she pulls the disc out. She's like. Uh, how? What do I do? (laughs) You put the disc in the tray after it comes out. She goes, which way do I put it? (laughs) There's two sides. I'm like, oh God.
1: Over the summer, we we had an issue with our internet uh, because Comcast, bless them, I guess. Uh, Somebody, uh, I think maybe the landscapers cut the Comcast line on accident. Oh, I
0: remember you telling me about that.
1: And we did not have internet for two weeks. And calm down. Not a nightmare. It's a nightmare. (laughs) You you and I spent at least the first 10 years of our lives without internet.
0: No, 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 no. It's not a nightmare for me. It's a nightmare
1: having to put up with the children. (laughs) So we ended up going to the library and finding DVDs. You want to know what she picked for her DVDs to watch? Bluey. She picked Bluey. She's seen all of these Bluey episodes, but she still felt the need to, to watch it and to rent it from our library. So we get home. We had to find the Blu-ray player because we're pretty much exclusively streaming on, on everything. And then instructing my six-year-old on how to use the Blu-ray player was taxing, to say the least. <laughs> so do you think we should get into the episode? I say
0: let's do it. This week we'll be going over season four of Star Trek Lower Decks, episode six, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. Once upon a time, now
1: this is a story all about how. Have you ever had a dream you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything.
0: We open this week on the lower decks of a Ferengi vessel, and uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That makes Klingon, Romulan, Orion, and Ferengi. So I've got my heart set on Cardassian next. The Cardassians were the bad guys in Deep Space Nine. I was about so to say, I, I would you're, love to
1: see them. You're, you're rooting for their ship to get destroyed next. Or one of their ships to get destroyed.
0: I'm, I'm looking for a highbrow Cardassian joke, everybody. <laughs> like, like the... They go to uh, they go to the Cardassian lower decks, and it's Gull Kim Kardashian, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. I mean, everyone else has made the joke. Why not lower decks? So fair enough. I I called it last week. I was like, I saw the title. I'm like, oh my god! I really hope we see a Virgini lower decks, and we did. And so the they're they're sorting through weapons also, which is I was like, all right, I guess we're recycling the idea from the uh, Orions. The Ferengi Lower Deckers are sorting through crates of weapons, and uh, one of them, whose name is Jeef, is annoyed that they're getting rid of the weapon. My name is Jeff.
1: Where's the Jeef?
0: (laughs) I don't like Skippy peanut butter. I like Jeef peanut butter. So he's upset that they're getting rid of the weapons, because they could be selling these weapons for a very sweet, sweet profit. The, The Ferengi, for those of you unaware, are... Like me, uh,
1: I'm completely unaware. Yes.
0: Let's let's get into the Ferengi here. A quick, brief science lesson. Uh, the Ferengi are a species of aliens. If you've never seen them, they have giant ears on the sides of their heads. Uh, they've got a giant forehead. The Ferengis are all about money and profit and business. They love business. It is the
1: American way.
0: It is the Ferengi way. When you go to a Ferengi's home, you have to pay some money.
1: Please place your
0: imprint on the legal waivers and deposit your admission fee in the box by the door. Remember, my house is my house. Mm. <laughs> and the person coming to visit goes, yes. Has our rich contents. <laughs> and you see that throughout the episode, and we'll, we'll get into how the Ferengi find different ways of nickel and diming you. But that that's their whole shtick. They love money and business and swindling others. So Jeef is super mad because, you know, the, everybody knows that we, the weapons business is uh, quite lucrative. His companion explains that the new Grand Negus says that equality and hospitality are more profitable in the long run. But Jeef doesn't like this.
1: I want to be rich now!
0: He As he's going through, he pulls out a portable Genesis weapon device. For those of you who've seen Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, you know, the Genesis weapon. this one's little and easy to bring places i guess i guess they started using it as a common like yeah we terraform planets with this thing now it's it's 100 years later
1: yeah that makes sense with the evolution of technology yeah Yeah. smaller more more portable it -hmm. works according to myth the earth was created in six days now watch out here comes genesis We'll do it for
0: you in six minutes. So yeah, so Jeef wants to sell. He's he, he pulls out the portable genesis device and suggests they could sell it to buy their own ship. Maybe even a fleet. These things go for good money. But they're interrupted by a red alert. As for usual, only this time, before Jeef leaves, he says menacingly, right on time. Dun, dun, dun. If This is a big moment if you've been following along and curious about the mysterious ship. So there's clearly someone on board it who is able to get in cahoots with the
1: Ferengi. I I was very curious about that. That seemed odd. Maybe that's a clue somehow. Maybe it's a clue you understand. I understand nothing. So
0: as far as I'm aware, whoever is on that ship is able to contact other people. It, it feels like because he didn't, they didn't save Jeef. Although I'm still convinced that they're not killing everybody on board, that they're like beaming them out and like keeping them. But if they do blow him up, you know, RIP Jeef, he was uh, totally double crossed. They clearly want something. And the, the Ferengi are. Always out to make a profit. On the bridge, the captain and his first mate are debating what to do. And the one brings up the merits of uh, the rules of acquisition, which you'll hear a couple more times this episode. The Ferengi have a long list that they often cite called the rules of acquisition. And they're all essentially just like different rules to follow to succeed in business. And Jeef's starting to get annoyed at the indecision and is a little too vocal, which turns the ear of the captain and he gets pissed at him. And he yells at him. he's only there as a favor to his cousin. As they're arguing, the ship does the thing where it messes with their shields and it takes aim and begins to fire. And at that point, Jeef insists that they, they told me we would make a profit. Just as the Ferengi ship is blasted to bits. So there you go. There's your breadcrumb for the week. There's someone on board who's looking to trick people into getting their ships blown up.
1: It's starting to get a little annoying. We're two-thirds of the way through this, and it's literally the same thing over and over again. I guess at the same time, I think the thing that I find most interesting about it is getting to see the Lower Decks crew of all of these ships. I do like seeing that. But the way that this all happens, it feels like this is just how it's going to be the rest of the season. The
0: dropping of the you. breadcrumb this week feels good. Last week, we didn't get a pre-roll. It was the week before that we saw the Orions. It's like a catch-22. I think it is starting to get a little too repetitive. I love seeing the lower decks of a different... Like, I'm, I'm... I'm hoping we see a Lower Decks of a different alien ship next week. But, like, it's, it's hard to say. If my theory that it's badgy plays out, then it might all come to a head next week and that, that'll be it. Like, this week we got that big breadcrumb and next week there's the problem solved. If not, then it, we could get maybe two more. There's So there's four more episodes. Yeah, I mean, I would hope two more times, not four more times. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, it's, I, I, I get what you're saying. I think they should slow it down. If they do it more than two more episodes, it will officially be too repetitive. At the very least, they need to do something different. Like, not just, here's the lower decks. They get called to the bridge with a red alert. The bridge gets destroyed. Do something else. Give us a little bit more. Maybe, maybe that's what they're going to do.
1: Maybe, maybe the next time they do show them beaming people off the ship,
0: Something. Maybe in the next episode, it's the Cerritos that runs into it. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun,
1: dun. Anywho, meanwhile, we come back from the opening credits to see the USS Toronto and the Cerritos in orbit above a planet. We get a captain's log from Freeman that informs us that they're on a mission to Ferenginar because the Ferengi have submitted a formal application to join the Federation. Uh, context, are they not part of the Federation normally? No, so the Federation consists of many, many
0: planets and alien species, but a lot of the aliens that we do see throughout Star Trek aren't actually members of the Federation. Um, One of the big plot points of Deep Space Nine was that they wanted the Bajorans to join Starfleet, which is why they stationed Starfleet officers on the station as like kind of like, "Hey, we'll help you fix this up and protect you and let you use resources if you agree to join the Federation and be on our team. So, like, the Klingons are allies of the Federation, but not members of the Federation. A lot of a lot of aliens that you see, like, if they're working in Starfleet, they typically are members of the Federation. But that's not necessarily a prere- prerequisite. Because, like, one of the Ferengi characters, Nog, from Deep Space Nine, he eventually joins Starfleet and uh, becomes an officer. So, like, Orions aren't members, Romulans aren't members, Klingons aren't members, Ferengi aren't. Noted. Cool. Appreciate it. But if that. the if the Ferengi join, that's a big get. Earth and the Federation are kind of all post-scarcity because of replicators, but the uh, the Ferengi, even though the replicators exist, they still very much run on a business model where, you know, the more profits, the better.
1: Appreciate that context, as always. There are some ensigns... Uh, setting up the conference room of the Toronto with a big bowl of gagh gagh gagh, A traditional
0: gah. Klingon dish made of live
1: worms. But of course. Okay. Uh, an enterprise-shaped charcuterie board and some other assorted appetizers uh, that look rather disgusting.
0: Yeah, they did. Uh, they were all really slimy looking.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, The alliance could benefit uh, the entire quadrant, so Freeman is pleased with being included. Admiral Mr. Clean is acting rather cocky regarding how fast the papers will be signed, and Freeman is trying to instill a sense of caution in him, but he won't hear it because the new Grand Nagus has created a different political environment on Ferengadar. Lots of progressive freedom. They freedom. don't. They don't typically do that. <laughs> but let's just put it this way: up until
0: maybe five, ten years ago in the Star Trek timeline, women weren't allowed to speak with strange men, and also weren't allowed to wear clothes. So they didn't exactly have rights. That changed when uh, somebody's mom got involved. What a, what a time, time to be, be alive!
1: Right. right. So he also indicates that the mysterious ship has been destroying uh, Ferengi vessels all across their trade routes and the new Grand Nagus is desperate for Federation resources. Seems like a good deal for them, so why not? The Grand Nagus is announced uh, by a Ferengi attendant and in walks Rom and Lita, uh, wife and first attendant from Deep Space Nine.
0: Ram and leader there. I was so excited because they are very big characters in Deep Space Nine. Ram is Quark's brother. So you've heard of Quark before. He was a bartender in, in Quark's bar, and their mom actually married the old Grand Nagus. And before the old Grand Nagus retired, there was an episode of Deep Space Nine where he went to the station. He informed them that he had a big announcement and he was going to announce the next Grand Negus. He was played by Wallace Shawn, the <laughs> one and only. He was great. And so he like has a heart attack while he's there. And Ooh. so they all assume that he's going to tell Quark Quark's the new Grand Negus. But then um, when he finally comes to by the end, he's like, nah, I'm making Rom. Rom's the new Grand Negus. So that was a, a really fun little twist in that episode because Rom has always been kind of like a doofy younger brother type who is a little slow and you wouldn't have seen him being the one, but, uh and then he, Lita was a, was a Dabo girl and a waitress in Quark's bar also. And then in the show, they eventually got married.
1: That helps because we're on an audio podcast. Your, your eyes lit up when, you know, said Ram and Lita. And I just was like, okay, these just seem like two, <laughs> two people. That's, that's it. So As a greeting, they offer Admiral Mr. Clean the ceremonial bust of good fortune, which is a giant golden bust of him. And then they also offer the ceremonial invoice for the bust of good fortune, but it's okay. Uh, They gave them the friends and family discount, so it's all good.
0: Wouldn't be a Ferengi if they didn't charge you for the gift they brought you.
1: He looks at the price and... Oh my. Dear Lord.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. So they, uh, back on the Cerritos, we cut over to the storage room. The gang's all there, except to Lynn. She's actually absent from this episode. So I guess.
1: I guess they were giving her the day off. She's had a lot to do over the last couple of episodes, particularly last episode. Yeah, for her, last first.
0: episode was her episode, so she gets the week off. It's just Tendy Rutherford, Boimler, and Mariner hanging out. Tendy and Rutherford are working on the Sequoia, their, uh, their busted-up old shuttle that they've been working on since season one. Uh, Mariner is really kind of in a mood. She, she looks like she's not really thrilled with uh, her current situation. And Boimler questions her on it. She says she's fine. Ransom is supportive to everything she wants to do. She has total autonomy for the first time in years and zero complaints.
1: All of this sounds absolutely believable.
0: But it's also the worst. Like, can you believe it? All this free time, not getting yelled at ever. Her boss likes her. God! (laughs) So Boimler, Boimler pretty much says all that. Like, well, then why are you so pissed off? She doesn't really have an answer for it. Stop staring at me. Shut up. In then walks ransom with an assignment and also unaware of how to address them as a group. He he tries <laughs> L- lieutenant <laughs> junior grades, lieutenant <laughs> juniors grade, <laughs> lieutenant's junior grade, I think, is what he lands on. That was that was good. <laughs> there was there's was another show that did something similar. I, I cannot remember for the life of me what it was. So this is we're gonna have to add this to the uh the Orion drinking game conundrum uh, list of things that Nick knows he's seen somewhere else but couldn't for the life of him <laughs> tell you where. Ransom says that he's, uh, he's pulled the most coveted job in Starfleet for them.
1: Travel guide duty. Is that true, or is this something? Is this a thing, or this is the first time hearing of it? But it makes sense.
0: I like it. It's one of those little in-universe things that I'm sure outside of the universe and um, across the Twitter sphere, people have probably asked a thousand times. What's hey, a Twitter? You shush. <laughs> I like the idea that you know throughout the years when. When Starfleet visits a planet, they send an officer to down to to sample the local wares and then put
1: together a report so they can add it to the travel guide. I do love that it was referred to as like a travel guide instead of it just saying, hey, just report back to us what you see.
0: Here are the best things to do when on the, on vacation to Ferenginar. But it's been a while since Starfleet's been to Ferenginar, so this thing needs updating. So attendees never heard of, of travel guide duty, and Mariner thought it was just a myth. But Ransom explains that Starfleet has a travel guide for all habitable planets, and the file for Ferenginar hasn't been updated in the years, so he needs them to update it by going to the planet and seeing the sites. Hashtag mandatory fun. <laughs> Mariner is psyched. This means Starfleet's going to foot the bill on every bar, restaurant, bar, pub, bar site bar that they want
1: she's could we, could we not the think bars. could we not think of any other names for bar besides
0: bar saloon <laughs> bar pub bar speakeasy
1: because it's clearly 1920 chicago
0: so boimler uh he wants to know how many places they usually do and uh ransom says four or five but that's that's not that's... enough for boimler those are the weak numbers you got to pump those numbers up I'm going to do 40. I'll pack my schedule so full that I do everything and enjoy nothing. He he runs off to create an itinerary, and Ransom is a little concerned there. He quickly moves on and turns to Tendi and Rutherford and says that they need them to pose as a married couple for reasons. Since the Cerritos is statistically the horniest and least romantically committed crew in Starfleet.
1: How do you how do you quantify horniest ship in the fleet?
0: I, you know, I don't know, but I feel like Ransom Ransom would know. Right, like if anyone's gonna, he's got to be on top of that.
1: Wait, there isn't a stat in Star Trek lore about how do you quantify the horniest ship in the fleet?
0: Well, the stats always get messed up because every now and again they get into a naked now situation where they they get a virus that like makes them all horny, and so it really throws off the stat.
1: Sounds an to, awful lot to... like your excuse making.
0: I mean, or am I lore building? You be the judge. But okay. uh, yeah, so there are no hu- there are no married couples on the Cerritos. This was probably one of my only holdups in the episode. They don't exactly explain why they need them to pose as a married couple.
1: Is there something in the travel guide that says for couples?
0: I guess it's for potential honeymooners. If you want a honeymoon on Ferenganar, here's what you need to know.
1: Okay, and then another side question, and we may get into this a little bit later. Do people want Tendi and Rutherford to be a couple? Are we uh, are we looking to ship them, or is I this... was going to ask
0: you the same question. Do you ship them? No, I am. I'm on Team Miglimo here. They are the two closest platonic friends on the ship. Like I love that their relationship appears to be mostly platonic. There's been a few moments where. It could have gone, oh, it's because they like each other. And I think that it gets misconstrued by the fan base because of that one episode where Rutherford was acting all weird and he goes on a date with Lieutenant Barnes or Ensign Barnes. I don't know if you remember her rank. But in the first episode, Rutherford goes on a date with her. And then in the second season, he goes on a date with her again, even though he had already done it and they decided that they weren't a fit. And that's because Rutherford lost all his memories and he he was liking different things. So Tendi thought there was something wrong with him and kind of messed up his date. So like, because she was interfering with a, a romantic interest, it kind of felt like, oh, she's jealous that he's going on a date with a girl. And then there was another moment later on in the season where he didn't want to delete his memories of Tendi. So like, it's little things like that that say like, could be a romance but i've always seen all their other interactions as being strictly platonic like they're just best friends they just happen to be of the opposite sex
1: and take note hollywood that's okay to okay. leave two people of the opposite sex as just friends there is and, absolutely and the same nothing thing wrong
0: with, with that and it's the same thing with boimler and mariner like because one's a guy, one's a girl, there's there's a subsect of the population that wants the two of them to get together. Although t coming in hot. Apparently boimler to lin fan fiction is quite the new rage that I've been hearing about. Their interaction in Vexelon was apparently enough to make people forget about Mariner and Boimler.
1: How can you construe that situation on Vexelon as anything other than someone being super supportive? Exactly. Was there something on the cutting room floor where they cut to them? Assuming that the volcano is going to destroy them and then them just doing it.
0: No, this, this wasn't directed by Gareth Edwards. (laughs) I'm not a shipper in general. I don't like doing it. I, I like the show to give me the, uh, if they want to give me a romance, fine. But like, I get super annoyed if two characters are always just friends. And then suddenly because ratings go down, they become lovers because that word bums me out, unless it's between cheese and pizza. <laughs> Anyways, I don't like the shipping idea, but Rutherford and Tendy love the idea of getting to pretend to be a couple. And henceforth, I will be referring to them as Tendyford whenever they do anything <laughs> together. They think it's going to be fun. They love their assignment, and they leave giggling about it. So Mariner then asks Ransom if he pulled strings to get them such th- this such a cushy assignment. And he says yes. And, well, it annoys her because he's so
1: handsome. Obviously. Uh, we next see our team flying down uh, to the planet in a shuttle. Uh, we get to see an animated version of the map painting that they used all the time in Deep Space Nine, I it guess. Ferengi is, of course, always raining. Is it? It oh. is. Why? That does... Every time we've seen it's. it's
0: always been raining. <laughs> I don't know. It's the, It's the one thing. Like, listen, man. Luke Skywalker's planet was all desert, then there was that all-snow planet, then there was that all-beautiful green planet. Why not an all-raining planet? Okay, yeah,
1: fair uh, fair enough. Don't
0: pay no attention to the fact that I used Star Wars planets to describe why Star Trek planets are the way they are. All the Star Wars people are going to hate us when we talk about
1: Ahsoka. Anyways, uh, <laughs> as they disembark from the shuttle, Mariner describes it as uh, what heaven would look like if God was stupid, which <laughs> I laughed so hard that I think I woke my daughter up. Uh, Boimler can't wait to haggle at the Museum of Gambling and gamble next door at the Museum of Haggling. Naturally. Yeah. They they all part ways, and Mariner goes to meet a friend. Boimler...
0: I have to squeeze an unforgiving amount of experiences into my day.
1: Uh, well, Tendyford. Ford uh heads to the hotel to find the honeymoon suite you know mariner teases them that they aren't talking like normal people and no one will buy that they're married uh but they disagree
0: we sound natural right totally we got married at a wedding
1: Uh, as they're waiting in line they start goofing around telling each other stereotypical couple things that uh, they can't wait to do Ruthie wants to wake her up uh, as if she looks to be having a nightmare Uh, Tendi wants to yell at a waiter to take back Ruthie's food when they've made it wrong that's Uh, a good woman right there (laughs) okay uh, that was just what I was about to ask is that if you get the wrong food or if your food doesn't taste good are you somebody who sends it back
0: Mm <laughs> yeah we, we 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 aren't yell at the waiter kind of people.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not a yell at the waiter type of person and if something is wrong, eh, it, like it's it's got to be pretty egregious for me to say something to the waiter. But then uh Tenderford starts escalating it uh to more serious things. So Rutherford isn't going to feel weird about sharing Tendy's toothbrush because their gums are in a partnership. I don't think I've ever been in any relationship where I've intentionally shared a toothbrush with anybody. (laughs) I totally
0: understand what Rutherford is saying, but I'm sorry. Your toothbrush is yours. My toothbrush is mine. And never the twain shall meet. My house is my house. Has our rich contents.
1: Yes. Uh, And Tendy is going to wear her gym shorts uh, around the apartment with nothing up top, Because who cares about nudity with our situation? This throws off Rutherford a bit, and then Tendi, also a little unsure, says jokingly, Sure, I love my husband. And Rutherford replies, I love you too. And they both immediately stop and blush. And this kind of confused me, because with platonic friends, I, I don't have a problem saying that I love some of my platonic friends, but then... Got weird, and now I'm wondering if this is something that they're trying to force to ship.
0: I don't know. I, I feel like you could be jokey-jokey with your friends, but, like, Tendy did kind of go a little far with it. I'll just walk around topless in the apartment, ha ha ha. And Rutherford is really like, oh, okay.
1: You you, you do that. You and do that. And I,
0: I think that might be the first time Rutherford ever actually thought about Tendy with her top off. Yeah. Like, that doesn't appear to be something that he ever crossed his mind. And as soon as he did, he was like, oh, no, super, I, had a, super. I had a thought that I shouldn't have had.
1: They made each other a little awkward, and Tendy suggests they could just go back to the ship. But before Rutherford can finish agreeing, uh, Ferenge pulls out a megaphone to announce that they are special VIPs. So confetti falls from the ceiling, everybody starts clapping, and they get a giant bow with a heart placed around them. I don't like to be recognized for things. Oh, no. And yeah, that would that would just
0: be a bit a bit much. But you gotta think on Ferenganoor, everything's gotta cost so much money. So like I would hope that the amenities that you're paying for are over the top and outlandish if you're gonna yeah. do it. And amenities you're paying for. Being outlandish is the name of the game as we head up to Boimler's room, and he's ex- inspecting all of the stuff in, in there. There's the, pro- the for-profit mini bar, the for-profit
1: uh, toilet. Like, are we talking like a coin-operated toilet? That's or what I would assume,
0: yes. A, spe- <laughs> a special
1: add-on for a bidet? You drop the kids
0: off at the pool. The kids stick around unless you plug in some latinum into the toilet and... Then you get to flush. Uh-huh. And of course, there's the, mi- the machine that charges you to pay for the toilet and the minibar. So Obviously. They're, of course, doing double duty there. And good, but good news, the TV works. Oh, thank so. God. Thank God. <laughs> and Boimler rates it a 9 out of 10, which I, I immediately thought he either works for EA or IGN. <laughs> because a 9 out of 10 for something that's charging you mic- microtransactions out the ass could only be one of those two companies. So he's about to head out to the Museum of Bribery when a commercial comes on the view screen. And uh, he's delighted by this. In the Federation, we don't have commercials because in a post square city society, there's no need to try and sell you something on the television. So he sits down and what does he see? But uh, it's a soda commercial. Young, small lobed Ferengi boy drinks some cola. And his earlobes grow twice as large. And they just pop out of his head. He puts on some sunglasses. At that moment, next to him, an attractive Ferengi woman who is already snuggling with a big, hunky Ferengi man sees the boy with the soda and his newly enlarged lobes. And she kicks the big man she's been snuggling to the curb, right into the pool, actually, and yells at him, you're fired. She then wraps herself around this young Ferengi and the narrator of the commercial says, Slug Cola, this happens to everyone who drinks it.
1: Feels like a very 1980s advertisement.
0: Yeah, I immediately got a Slurm's Mackenzie vibes <laughs> from Futurama. Slurm, it's highly addictive. Because the, the cola looks like it, the mascot on the cola, which mm. we, we see so many times later, it, he lo- it looks like it's an homage to that. Uh, so I really enjoyed this commercial. Boimler is absolutely delighted by this commercial. He laughs and he finds it so amusing that they just lie to you.
1: Just wait until he, you know, hears stuff from politicians.
0: Oh, just wait. So Boimler goes to leave, but uh, before he could turn the TV off, a TV show comes on called Pogandar Cop Landlords. And so he's immediately drawn in and he sits down to watch. I love this. I love the whole idea. On Feranganar, they are all about making television shows like this. That little extra peek behind the curtain of their society that you would be a cop and a landlord.
1: It makes the financial implications of that <laughs> just all the more great that you're not only a cop, but you're also collecting money from your tenants as well so we we leave boimler uh, with his tv uh and we cut to mariner uh who walks into a restaurant and we get to see the return of quimp w- what's what's quimp been up to do we not know it, it well, just, we haven't it, seen him it, since i my has, he, has he been is he business been, has been <laughs> business things he waves her to his booth and congratulates her on her extra half Hip. Congratulations! I never thought you'd dig your way out of crashing that old birth. Uh, She starts complaining about how Ransom has been uh, treating her so well, uh, and Quint teases her about how it sounds like such a nightmare uh, that someone treats you well. Uh, and she orders some drinks from a passing waiter, and as he leaves, uh, she takes a shot from a glass that wasn't there a second ago, which freaks out Quint.
0: I also love she then throws the, the shot glass away. And you hear this guy in the background go, hey, and then later on in the episode, someone throws something else and you hear that same guy go, hey,
1: <laughs> we we cut to the Toronto. So negotiations are in full swing after the payment of the ceremonial invoice. Uh, Ram immediately changes the subject to baseball. He loves baseball. American pastime. Sure. Yeah. American pastime in deep space. Uh, so then he says that even though uh he used to be a humble bartender, he wonders if he can make the numbers of the proposal different. Admiral Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean,
0: Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean.
1: Isn't sure what he means by different. And as somebody who's been in sales for a long time, yeah, stuff like this happens a lot. I get it, but that doesn't change the fact also that it's very frustrating. when stuff like this happens but hey it's all part of the negotiation it's all part of the process lita gives rom a baseball and asks for a sidebar with the admiral so she explains that rom isn't the shrewdest business type uh, and he just likes to feel involved if they can open the document and let rom shuffle around some of the numbers he'll feel like he accomplished something the admiral thinks he's picking up what she uh she's putting down uh but freeman sees right through this ploy Uh, She tells the admiral that this is a classic dumb cop, reasonable cop routine. Uh, The contract is locked, and if we open it, uh, we could ruin everything. So he interrupts her and indicates that Rom is acting like a child. Rom throws some food on the wall, pretending to play baseball. And the admiral tells Rom that he's uh, he's opened up the contract. Uh, Rom can show him the numbers uh, that seem wrong and they can fix them together. compromise this evokes a sly grin from Rom and Lita and uh, Lita immediately uh, dives into very specific paragraph and subsection of the agreement Freeman looks annoyed as hell
0: it does poor Freeman this whole episode. she's just sitting there taking it. I'm so glad that she eventually gets her uh, her day in court as it were.
1: yes so and it was quite a quite a good
0: good move. On. We go back down to Boimler. And he's still sitting there watching TV in his room. He hasn't even unpacked. He's just sitting on the edge of the bed holding everything that he was. And he's still watching the two landlord cops show. They're, they're in the process of finding a resident for having a pet larger than the lease allows. <laughs> the, the pet owner pulls a phaser and blasts one of them before getting shot himself. You
1: just surrendered your deposit
0: and your life. And uh, the cop on the ground says, he's not, nah, I'm not going to make it. And his partner tells him to just hold on. But first he needs to enjoy the crisp, refreshing taste of a sluggo cola. And we cut back to Boimler who is absolutely loving this. <laughs> uh, they put commercials in the shows. It's like mind control. A- at this moment, they show him on the bed and above him, behind him on the wall, there is a painting of a mountain that looks suspiciously like the Paramount logo. And as he comments on the commercial, uh, you see the the stars in the painting twinkle, and I died. I absolutely died.
1: Well played. Very, very good. You understood the assignment.
0: Oh my God, I swear, if I have to see that weird Korean zombie movie trailer in front of my Star Trek episodes one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. It's (laughs) We get it, Paramount. You want us to watch it. Guess what? I'm not going to.
1: There's a fair amount of stuff on Paramount Plus that I'm just not interested in.
0: So the show continues, and the the one who was shot is now being blackmailed into paying his partner, who will tell everyone he supported tenants' rights if he doesn't pay up. The injured man agrees, compliments his thieving partner on being so conniving, And then dies. The end? Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) So with the cop show over, Boimler once again gets ready to leave and go about on his itinerary to travel to as many locations as possible. But just as he's getting up, another show comes on called Will They, Won't They? A workplace sitcom where everyone is secretly in love with each other. I'm sorry, what?
1: Okay. And this is where I started to question a little bit more if they really want Tend to to be a thing. Cause I, I wondered, are, are they trying to really tell me that workplace comedy and they want everybody to be in a relationship?
0: They- mm, so you think, you think that they were laying the seeds in another scene to make it seem more palatable later?
1: Mm-hmm. That is what I thought at first. Yeah. It just, it just seemed, too much of a nod for me not to notice that
0: all i could think of was it's the ferengi office <laughs> like, so that's all i saw but i mean the end of the episode indicates that tendy and rutherford at the very least are not there yet although they still screw around at the i don't know i don't know i think the show enjoys the ambiguity of it all like will they won't they could they couldn't they sure the answer to all of your questions is yes Wintler sees the show is on. He's not going to be fooled by this schlocky entertainment. At least he thinks he's not. At least... No, he's going to sit down and he's going to watch it. And he's going to watch oh so much of it. Because, you know, he's got to he's got to do the research. You got to make sure that uh, other Starfleets know not to fall for this ploy of B-rate entertainment.
1: Plus, we've all been there where we put on the TV, something turns on. And then all of a sudden, four hours later, it's like, oh, crap. I mean, that was the nice thing about DVDs is that when you put the DVD in of a TV show after six episodes or so, it's, it's it. It's done. And you, you got you got to make a decision. You either need to get up and switch the disc or you do what I did, which is to get a five disc DVD. Just Ooh,
0: you're living in the year 30, 23.
1: Uh, back in the honeymoon suite, Rutherford and Tendy are hanging out, uh, still looking a bit uncomfortable, debating the decor of the room, consisting primarily of hearts. So Rutherford suggests that the universal symbol of love should be kissing faces or gorgeous green eyes. Again, this is another thing where now I'm just plain confused. I, I, what, I what think at
0: this things? point now, they're so flustered from earlier that they don't know what to do now. They both thought about it. They, for reals. It was a game. And then they both felt some movement down <laughs> below. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Oh. And so now that's all they can think about. And of course, they're just getting more and more comfortable.
1: Uh, so they're interrupted by a Ferengi guest and the uh, titular character of the episode, Parth, who is the Huxierge. Which poetry right there. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh he hands there, uh he hands them a pair of outfits and tells them to get changed. So when they come out, Rutherford is in a snazzy white suit with a black, short, and orange bow tie. Uh spiffy as hell. There sure is. Looks looks beautiful with that. Bow ties are uh making a comeback, and I sure love are. it.
0: As Mariner oh. would say, it was a, a big old piece of ham
1: steak. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tendi though on the other hand emerges wearing a gorgeous black sparkly dress with a cross front neckline uh, and a little Klingon boob window. They both look great. Yeah, the, this re- <laughs> this reminds me a little bit because when I host trivia, I I just read the questions. I don't I don't write any of the questions. Occasionally, I'll change up a question, but I usually just read them. And there's usually a lyric question. And sometimes the lyrics that I have to read are ridiculous. And some mm. sometimes they're funny. And this week, I had to read the lyrics from the song Too Close by Next, which is about what happens to a dude when he's dancing too close to a woman and what happens. It's one of those songs that as a child i probably shouldn't have sang but i enjoyed the song what happens when a man
0: dances too close to a
1: woman hey, did not you have hey.
0: six inches for the lord
1: buddy if if you need to ask you need you need jesus in in your life
0: isn't that what jesus is there the lord is jesus six inches for the lord Does that or does that mean something else <laughs>
1: Uh again, I've derailed us, I'm sorry. Well, I uh, haven't
0: been struck by
1: lightning, so I think we're good. <laughs> yes, you haven't been smote. They both once again made each other uncomfortable, and they're contemplating each other's new outfits and how nice they both look. Parth informs them that it's time for their photo session, which every honeymoon suite out there offers clearly a, a photo session. I'm sure this would make a killing, Probably. Because it's not enough to drop, I'm sure, hundreds or thousands of dollars on wedding photography. What better way to encapsulate your honeymoon?
0: Especially when they pull out the lingerie part of the evening.
1: <laughs> Anyways, after taking many photos... Publicly display that uh, Some sweet, some incredibly silly. Uh, Parth wants to move... Uh, to the lingerie chute and holds up a pair of madonna coats and a giant r- purple jockstrap man thought they both scream and then they run out the door
0: <laughs> yeah they did we cut back over to mariner and quimp there's a nice establishing shot before we see what they're doing uh, they're at the public library naturally when you're you're seeing the sites you go to the library rent some books it- it's got a nice glowing neon sign, books, books, books. So, you know, you know what you're going to get into there. No, it's a casino. Mariner Quip are uh, playing at a dabo table. Mariner tells Quip, Breaking public libraries go hard. And uh, you can, I mean, there were books lining the walls, but otherwise it, it, Quip, Quip indicates that no one's read a book from a library in like hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. She starts pounding back as much alcohol as she possibly can. And uh, even uh, Quip notices this and he's a little like, hey, slow down there, buddy. Maybe maybe don't drink so much because he's trying to get out of there. He's like, it's late. Let's let's call it a night. But she insists that they keep going. They haven't even made it to the part of the night where they regret their decisions. uh as she's saying that a large ferengi bumps into quimp by accident and tries to apologize he's he's being really sweet actually but mariner loses it on him she gets all up in this guy's face and he's just trying to enjoy a nice night out with his biker gang and he indicates to a group of surly looking individuals mariner doesn't care she decks a guy right in the face and that sets an entire brawl throughout the entire bar Everybody's just beating the crap out of everyone else, much to Quimp's dismay.
1: I mean, we've all had a friend like that. Back up on the Toronto, Lita and Rom are wiping the floor with Admiral Mr. Clean. <laughs> they suggest they finish the official signing at Rom's palace uh, for a great photo op. Freeman is seeing right through it all, though. Uh, She pleads with the Admiral not to fall for it. Uh, They are just toying with him and uh, getting him to agree to anything. Uh, But the Admiral insists that he can do this. Uh, He refuses to go uh, to the Federation Council with a big fat L on the diplomacy mission that had a W written all over it. Uh, once again, it's annoyed Freeman eyes until the end of the scene. And rightfully so, as somebody who's been in business, this should be a slam dunk. Nope, this just got complicated in a hurry. It's frustrating.
0: So back on the planet, ten deferred are having dinner at the Starfleet Experience Restaurant. <laughs> and I've got like a freaking book of references for this later on. But uh, needless to say, this restaurant is modeled after the Star Trek experience. I believe it was a traveling show perhaps. Hmm. But uh I know that there was one in Vegas for a long time. But uh, the Starfleet Experience restaurant, it's like a Planet Hollywood essentially but for Starfleet.
1: <laughs> there used to be a Planet Hollywood at our local shopping mall that lasted for about 5 months before they realized this was a bad idea.
0: I remember Planet Hollywoods being the coolest freaking places as a kid. I loved them. You walk in and freaking the Terminator is sitting there and like all the fun little props on the walls. I, I just thought it was the best thing. But then you know, you go back as an adult and you're just like, oh, these are really cheap restaurants. Well, it's Quark's The Starfleet Experience. And my assumption is that the co-owner is Quarknold Ferengi. So the uh, the waiters are all dressed in starfleet uniforms. Tendi calls out that they're the old valor uniforms They used to catch fire all the time. You could see a ton of TOS episode references in the background. They've uh, they've uh, they've got a bunch I'll cover later, but uh, this place is pretty cool. It's the total package. Uh I also really enjoyed they had the TNG theme playing in the background as like the restaurant's ambient music. It's
1: it was nice. So if this restaurant was real, how often would you go to it? If I it was convenient? At, at least once a month. Like we go to Red
0: Robin on the reg. So, cuz the kids love it. If if there was a place where there was a freaking Voyager and Enterprise hanging over us while we ate surrounded by movie props from Star Trek, Red Robin would never see us again. I want to go to there. Tenderfurd are sitting at their table and they start talking about just everything that's been going on and how they they kind of feel weird. They want to take a break and just go back to being friends and not pretending to be a couple. Rutherford is so glad that Tendi said something because he agrees. No sooner do they get to take that sigh of relief than Parth pops up to give them the deluxe romance package. Just as Rutherford is about to come clean to Parth that uh, they were all just pretending the whole time and they're not really a married couple, a red alert sounds. We, We turn to another couple in the restaurant. It turns out they have been defrauding the restaurant by pretending to be a couple. These monsters. They are accosted by two Ferengi dressed in Starfleet security uniforms. We're told that as a punishment for what they consider to be one of Ferenginar's most heinous felonies, these two are now going to be taken to the subaquatic sulfur mines where they will live out the rest of their days performing hard labor because they tried to get a discount. So, so after he takes care of those two liars... Parth returns to uh, Tendifer's table and asks uh, what they were about to admit before he was interrupted to sentence those two people to a life of misery. A little freaked out, Tendi declares, we are more in love than ever before. That's right, Smokey! Parth is pleased and he requests their most romantic meal possible be served as the waiters bring out these two mini sexy chocolate statues of Tendy and Rutherford wearing the lingerie that they didn't want to do the photo shoot in. This may sound weird. I know a couple of episodes back, I professed my undying love for Tendy with her, her cool girl attitude. Uh, I want a sexy chocolate Rutherford statue. <laughs> the, <laughs> him with his legs crossed and his finger over mm-hmm. his lips and the adorable little stare. I I want it. He... I loved it. It was my favorite part of the episode. Hmm.
1: Maybe a Christmas present.
0: I wouldn't say no. Parth informs them that the package also includes, when they're done, they have to say something they find attractive about one another, and their chairs have built-in lie detectors, so they know that it's true. Seems a
1: bit extreme,
0: but... Right? Okay, I love how all of a sudden now it's like, everything they do is just to try and make sure that they're not lying.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So while Tendiford are uh, forced to consume the sexy visage of their best platonic friend in chocolate form, Mariner and Quimp are strolling down the street of uh, Ferengnar towards the Dominion War Memorial. Mariner looks like she got hit by a bus. Uh, Uniform's all messy, hair's out of sort, bruises on her eyes and cheek. Uh, so she thanks Quimp for bailing her out of jail and then promptly throws up over the balcony. Uh, so Quimp is really giving her the business, though. He's super pissed uh, that he had to bribe a ton of people to keep her indiscretions quiet. Uh, Mariner doesn't see why this is a big deal. Hey, you know me, man. I'm a wild rogue living on the edge of chaos. I sit weird in chairs. You can't predict me. Quimp agrees that she's always had a bit of a little chaos demon, but she usually, uh, but it usually means something. Uh, So it feels, it feels like she's angry about nothing, which, you know, she's just complaining for the sake of complaining a little bit, uh, and is just looking to pick fights to intentionally get herself hurt. So Mariner tries to fire back by saying that he's wanting to call it quits early and he isn't the friend uh, she used to know. Uh, He agrees he's changed. Because he's grown up and he is no longer stuck in a perpetual state of immature rebellion that that
0: that was the felt gut like, it right hurt. There.
1: yeah, so we've, we've all been there with a friend where you say something that you know is it, like you either unintentionally or you if you're being a jerk about it, you intentionally know that that's really gonna hurt. That was, that was definitely it here. So he doesn't understand why Mariner is acting this way. Uh, she has all the support she's ever wanted, but she's still picking fights and acting out. So Mariner tries to deny it, but realizes that her argument uh, has lost steam and Quimp is making sense. Uh, Quimp tells her he doesn't want her to get hurt. He then adds, because if he loses any more money bailing her out, they will have to put his name on this ridiculous monument. Uh he indicates the Dominion War Memorial, but then uh, the camera pans out to show that it's a sober farewell to lost prophets. This was great, and to see a memorial like this to lost prophets uh made me giggle uh, a yeah, little
0: yeah no, that was really funny uh, of course, of course, that you 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 go, oh this is uh this is for all the people who have died, but no. <laughs> Is there no justice in this galaxy?
1: Yeah, just a creative way to, to definitely do that. So, um, uh, Mariner is impressed how the uh, Ferenga always managed to keep things, quote unquote, on brand. And uh, she apologizes to Quimp. Uh, Quimp tells her uh, she needs to figure out whatever's eating her up inside. Uh, they hug. And as Quimp departs, Mariner slowly looks down.
0: I believe that this has been a long time coming. The show has been kind of hinting at this and I know she knows exactly what's eating her up inside. I had a theory that it was dominion war related because we know a little bit about Mariner's past. She, she used to be on DS nine. She was stationed with Riker at one point. He was like her mentor. Uh, We know that, she was in Starfleet during the Dominion War. Quimp even says earlier that she crashed an Oberoth, which is a type of starship. Like, what, what exactly happened in Mariner's past that has really set her on this, like, crazy, chaotic, I-don't-care-about-anything-but-myself situation? Because she she even indicates in previous seasons that she didn't like getting close to people because she always, she would lose them by going to other ships when she get demoted or get kicked off another ship. ships. I always kind of wondered if there was more to it than that. And I, I think that maybe that's, that is what we're leading
1: to here. You know, now that, now that you kind of mentioned that, if I were to put my conspiracy theory hat on, maybe that has something to do with this, this mysterious ship that's blowing things up. Maybe that's how they tie all this together. That, that is where I will stake my claim into this is that we will get some resolution. You know, this season we got some backstory and info on, on Tendi. Maybe, maybe this is the season that we get a little bit of backstory and context of for, for Mariner. Maybe it's somebody that, I don't know, because this has come up a bunch of times this season where Mariner is kind of pouted and kind of didn't like that. She's been promoted and she's been supported and everything like that. Maybe the person that, you know, supported her the most during this time in her life uh, has come back and is enacting revenge.
0: Maybe, or I was kind of going the other way with it. I was thinking that uh, the last time that she was supported like this, maybe she did something, maybe, maybe the ship she crashed, uh, maybe she ended up getting people that she cared for killed. That's why she doesn't want to be promoted. Every time she gets promoted, something bad happens to her. So she gets herself demoted before that can like, you, you can't you can't be in charge of a ship if you're the lowest person on the ship. but I I also agree. I hope that by the end of this season we get a big reveal moment for Mariner, which kind of opens up more of her her past to us. You'll get nothing unlike it. So uh, we head back to the restaurant. Uh, Tendeford are finishing up their chocolates. And their table has been raised so that the entire place can see them eat it. It's time for the compliments. Rutherford shakily compliments Tendy's hair. He, he really loves her hair. The, the lie detector chair lights up green. So good job, Rutherford. You you passed. It's Tendy's turn. And she shouts, I also like your hair too. <laughs> and also gets a green confirmation heart. And uh, their table slowly descends. So Parth congratulates them for completing their all-inclusive newlywed discount package. All that's left to do is consummate the marriage. <laughs> of course, this freaks them out. but And Parth, Parth realizes what he did there. He, he's like, ah, just kidding. You don't have to do it in front of us. <laughs> and then he points over to these two guys wheeling over a shuttlecraft with a bed full of, like, pink hearts and uh, like a disco ball. And he goes, you do it in the blind box where we can hear you. That, this is where the episode takes a wild left turn. And my assumption was just that they were going to then go into this box and have to do like the thing they do in Easy A where everyone's listening and they have to pretend.
1: Now grunt, grunt and make it convincing. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah. And like they're banging on the wall and I'm like, this has got to be where the episode is going, but instead, Doctor Miglimo shows up, and he's being seated at the restaurant. Uh, he's telling the uh, the waiter that he's been char He's in charge of updating his planet's official foodie archives. You see, the bird people created space travel to seek out strange new meals, as Parth is pushing. Tendiford towards the uh, the blind box. They pass Miglimo and he greets them, telling their waiter that these are the two closest platonic <laughs> friends on his ship. This, of course, Hearth does not like. He uh, The red alert sounds and security shows up immediately when he calls them. It seems like the jig is up, but thankfully Tendi is great on her feet. She lays into Miglimo Yelling at him, how dare he call them only friends? He's been clearly trying to break them up all along. And Rutherford, it takes him a second to figure out what's going on. But he, uh, he yes-ends Tendy so well in this moment. But in the weirdest way possible. He says to Miglimo, yeah, you know that we both love you. And of course, Miglimo is so put off by this. Rutherford continues, just because the Ferengi newly read discount can only be used by two of the two out of the three of us, doesn't mean that Miglimo doesn't have the right to ruin him and Tendi's marriage. So Rutherford's version of the events are that he and Tendi and the bird doctor are in a thruple together. And Miglimo is just like touched, but also confused. He's not really sure why they love him but he's so happy to be loved like all good improv partners Tendy then plays into the change like a champ and agrees of course they love Miglimo. Moe it's obvious he's incredibly attracted to both of them but now that she sees him there she wants a divorce so that she could be with Miglimo only. Rutherford, of course, then yells at Miglimo for ruining their marriage. This is a soap opera that's definitely entertaining the crowd. It's also enough for Parth to get them to stand down the security, giving Tenderford a chance to then head back to the ship so they can never speak again, and they get the hell out of there. Miglimo is just completely floored by what happened. Parth offers him one of their homewrecker packages, (laughs) <laughs> Which he is delighted by. You
1: don't have to throw up in my mouth twice. Let's do it.
0: Thus ends the tale of Tendiford.
1: In Rom and Lita's palace, Lita is going over the terms of the new membership application while Rom sits on his throne. Uh, so the deal is now wide, wildly out of control. The Ferengi uh, get the use of any Starfleet vessel whenever they want, uh, whether they join the Federation or not. Admiral Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean is quite frustrated uh, at this point, uh, but reluctantly agrees. Uh, seeing the weakness, uh, Rom whispers Salida and she tells the Admiral that Rom also requires him to start dancing. Uh, so, defeatedly, he obliges. Um, and he's got some moves. I'm not going to lie. Good good for him. So- he sure did. Uh, Freeman takes this opportunity to jump in. She updates the treaty with all of their demands, and she added a billion Latinum signing bonus. So this gives Lita and Rom pause. So why are they giving this up? This seems like it's too good to be true. Freeman just wants to wrap this up quickly before the Admiral signs away the entire fleet. If they can use a Federation
0: starship whenever they want, whether they join or not,
1: sounds like he kind of already did. Sounds like he kind of (laughs) already did. So... Uh, Lita assumes that there's a catch, and she's absolutely right, so Freeman has added one provision. Uh, The Ferengi have to bring in one additional member planet in order to receive any of the signing bonus. That sounds pretty straightforward. Uh, So the the Admiral freaks out. Uh, That request is so easy to complete. But Rom quickly grabs the agreement and signs, gloating that uh, they have so many planets uh, in Ferengnar's debt that it will be child's play to get a new member. So Freeman says, no worries, we're done here. They aren't getting anything. Rom stops her and says they owe the Ferengi a fortune. Uh, but Freeman indicates they didn't read the fine print. They didn't read those drastic terms and conditions. Uh, So right. Freeman didn't say which planet Kronos, the Klingon homeworld, is the planet that they need to recruit to the Federation. Uh, so, Rom and Lina are floored. That's impossible. There's no way that this can be done. Freeman knows this, though, and she reminds them of the eighth rule of acquisition small print leads to large risk. And Rom is impressed. She swindled them like a true Ferengi, and as much as they would like to join the Federation, uh, the Grand Nagas can't sign. Uh, with a bunch of suckers and rubes, knowing that uh, there are people in Starfleet that respect the Ferengi culture, allows him to trust the Federation and signs the treaty as it was originally constituted. So Admiral (laughs) Mr. Clean then turns to Freeman and apologizes and thanks her for being so on the ball. Back in Freeman's ready room, she is completing her log uh, regarding the mission and how it feels uh, like a good start as she tosses the ceremonial bust of good fortune, rightfully so, in the trash.
0: Yeah, get rid of that. We don't need that. The button on the episode is we're back in the Cerrito storage room with Mariner looking quite glum. As Ransom walks in and asks her how guidebook duty was... If it was as awesome as it sounded. And she whines about being in a fight and having to take out a predatory loan from a close friend. Oh, and she can feel her hangover in her spine. uh, <laughs> Which... This is this is my indication that Mariner is in her got to be in like her late 20s, early 30s, because as I'm approaching 40, I don't need a hangover to feel it in my spine. My entire spine right now has a hangover and I didn't do any drinking. So. Mm-hmm. 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 Ransom asks Tendiford how the couple's retreat went and they admit the romance did not go well, Enterprise. They did not do a very good job of faking their relationship. It was just outside of their comfort zone. Turns out they have no natural chemistry. Mm-hmm. And as after they say this, Rutherford asks if she wants to reroute a phase conduit. She then jumps into his arms, and he carries her over the threshold of the Jeffries tube as they squeeze into a s- small, tight space, and he lays on top of her, with their legs intertwined as they get to work. Now this makes sense. This makes sense. The, The show is just continually screwing with the audience at this point. So just then, Ransom realizes that Boiler is missing. So he calls him on the FaceTime and uh, we cut to Boimler. Did you do too many locations? Are you in need of aid? He's in his underpants, wrapped in a blanket uh, with a five o'clock shadow and bags under his very bloodshot eyes. <laughs> Ransom asks if he's, uh, if he bit off more than he can chew and if he needs assistance and Boimler apologizes. He didn't get to go to any of the places he wanted to go. He's been binge watching Frankie television for the last eight hours and he never left his room once. But Ransom's okay with it. He's actually proud of Boimler. He has a problem typically with the getting out of his own way and going with the flow. So Ransom's just glad that he was able to do just that. But that's not all. He's, he's informed Boimler that he's authorized the local authorities to drag him out of there. Just go limp. Don't fight the... Just then, a giant Ferengi with an energy whip bursts into the room and runs towards him. We hear Random admit that he really likes that lieutenant, and <laughs> we get Boimler screams to credits. <laughs> and that <laughs> is our episode. What
1: did you think, Mike? Did you like this week's episode? It was fine. I I enjoyed moments. Uh, from this. I've, I'll admit I found myself a little lost at times uh, during I'm this episode. I wondering if that might be the case. So w- it, that probably contributed to it but overall I, I would say this is middle of the road for the season. What do you think? This
0: one is actually one of my favorites of the season so far mainly because it made me laugh so much and I realized it as we were going back through like I wrote out I read out all the scripts for the Star Trek for a little peek behind the pod curtain. And I started to realize, oh, shoot, I put a lot of in-universe references in your end of the scripts, which I usually try to avoid. It just didn't occur to me, like, there there are a lot of in-jokes in this episode that if you are unaware of previous seasons of Star Trek, then you probably wouldn't get a lot of it so I found this one to be absolutely hilarious. I was like giggling my butt off the entire time but I can I can see where this might have uh, maybe given some people some pause. I think it's funny the the, the Tendi and Rutherford stuff I I don't ship them as we said but I I like that the show is willing to at least explore that possibility and then also conclude that I'm correct and that we shouldn't ship them. And I I like the Mariner stuff. I I think that it's good that we got that extra bit of detail there. And hopefully it's a setup for the finale because we typically get a good Mariner therapy breakthrough at the end of each season. This is the setup for that. I'm going to be very pleased. Yeah, I, I rated this one a little higher. Maybe I can help you a little bit better by shedding some light on all the so many references that I found in a segment we like to call I Understood That Reference. How can you not know that
1: Spider-Man first appeared in 1962's classic, Amazing Fantasy number 15? Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe, Say the line, Bart! I understood that reference.
0: In this segment, I will do my best to compile all the references, jokes, and Easter eggs that I can find. This was originally to show off how cool I am, but after a recent basketball conversation involving De- Eric Durant, I'm not so sure cool is the right word. Really, it's to help Mike understand why I think the F is so funny and to get his perspective. So first off the bat, uh, Max Max Crowdenchik and uh, Chase Masterson have come back to reply, reprise their roles of Rom and Lita. So they got him back, which was nice. Uh, nice to hear their voices again. At the beginning of the episode, the one Ferengi says that Rom could be the next Lons. And that was a reference that I absolutely did not understand. And r- <laughs> rightfully so. Lons was a nose flute player a famous (laughs) furry nose fruit player, only ever referenced in the DS9 companion book written by the showrunners, Ira Stephen Bear. I found that to be a fun little bit of trivia that is now official canon now because it was put in the show. Admiral Mr. Clean Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean says that it would be like going to Moab 4 and, and going outside of the dome and then and Freeman just looks at him and he goes you really would only get that joke if uh you've been to moab 4 um and uh for anybody who watched uh, the next generation moab 4 is a planet that we did visit it was this it was co- from the episode called masterpiece society there was a dome on this really inhospitable world but inside the dome was like a paradise and the people in the uh in the dome were all like genetically engineered to be, like, the perfect society. And when the Enterprise came, I can't remember what the disaster problem was, but, like, they needed to do something to, like, reinforce the shield. Uh, Some of the people wanted to leave, and their leaders wouldn't let them because if even one person left, their society would crumble because... Everyone was specifically designed to do a specific job, so that was a that was a fun episode. Boimler mentions to Mariner, "You're weathering that stem bolt so much, you can it, it probably can't self seal anymore." So that's a stem bolt, a self sealing stem bolt. This is another line that I just thought was hilarious, and it's a reference to DS Nine. Uh, There's an episode where Jake and Nog acquire like like a thousand self-sealing stem bolts.
1: It's just that my Uncle Quark really needed some stem bolts. You mean self-sealing stem bolts.
0: And they're trying to sell them to make a profit.
1: It's top grade merchandise. You can't find a better stem bolt in, in the sector.
0: They're going everywhere trying to get rid of these things. They end up creating their own company called the no consortium by the end of the episode they end up doing like this like trade down the eye like 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 you ever see the guy on youtube he's like i'm going to start with this paper clip and by the end i'm going to own a house by simply trading by the end of the episode they end up owning like a large plot of land on bajor if i'm remembering correctly it's a lot of stem bolts so then uh we mentioned earlier Mariner crashed an obereth class starship to get to Moted. Uh this is a weird looking ship that has been seen a few times throughout Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Viewers of the show will be able to look at the uh the screen right now. I've got a picture of it up and you can see it's a it's a goofy looking ship. Like the mm-hmm. the saucer is like connected to the little nacelles and it's got like a little canoe on the bottom of it like it
1: it looks weird
0: yeah it's a it's a fun little ship like i love that about old star trek they they just made the weirdest ship designs and they were just like yeah no that's that's a that's a ship we made Mm -hmm. so uh, as we entered ferengi uh, there was a establishing shot of all the different businesses around the place that i thought were funny um there was one that said acquire poor home, which is actually a Versace fragrance for men. There was a movie theater playing Latinum Lost, which I assume is a a, a play on Paradise Lost. <laughs> there was a, a a building called the Maximum Nomax Rub Dungeon. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious as to what goes on around there. Of course, Quark couldn't just uh, leave his business dealings with adults he also opened up Uncle Quark's Youth Casino.
1: The which... the uncle there just makes it
0: creepy. That, that slayed me. I love it's... that. There's also the 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 hotel they were staying at was called the Loeb's uh, Lodge, and uh, there was the Hall of Fame Gift Shop. Hall of Fame coming soon. Sluggo Cola. I mentioned it had to be a reference to Slurms McKenzie from Futurama. Where, where, where? party during the uh, the landlord cop show there was a dog with a horn that dog first appeared that alien dog first appeared in the ne- the original series the enemy within episode it was just a little floofy dog that they put a horn on him <laughs> like a string mm. because that's what passes for an alien in star trek mariner and quip were playing Dabo, which is a popular game that is in quark's and ds9 in Quark's Federation Experience Bar and Grill, uh, you got to see Carl's Hole, the uh the city on the edge of forever monument thing, where that's the episode where Kirk and Spock and McCoy go back in time. And it's a very, very popular episode because of the uh the moral conundrum that it places on Kirk at the end. Um, it also made an appearance in Star Trek Discovery, where we learned that the, the monument uh, also could turn into a person named Carl. And that's why we call it Carl's Hole. <laughs> so then uh, in the background of there, there was a giant like, white monster, uh, which if you watch Lower Decks, you'll know is from the Mugato Gumato episode. Um, that's a, a, a Mugato or a Gumato or a Mugatu. They have so many, uh, so many pronunciations, it's also very uh, strange and inconsistent. But uh, that, that, that was a creature originally in the original series. I think Kirk got poisoned by one and Bones had to save him. There was also another alien creature with a giant spear, like black fur in the background. And it's in one of the TOS episodes. I gave up looking because I couldn't figure out which one, and I didn't really care. I just know it's in there. I want to say it was the cage, but I don't remember. So, sorry, sorry, dear listener. I was a little lazy this week. Um, The server was dressed as Spock. The security officers were dressed in TNG security uniforms. And, of course, the giant model of the Voyager and the Big D hanging over the dining area was uh, a nod to the Star Trek experience in the real world where they have those exact models hanging over the top. And then the cons- the, the consummation blind box room was uh, shaped like shuttlecraft. Uh, in in the restaurant, you may have also noticed a naked Ferengi woman in the background. Uh, I already talked about how that was a thing on Ferenginar. Now I guess it's more of a cultural thing that they... Uh, it's no longer a law that women have to be naked. So I guess some some like to just be naked because that's just how it was always done. But uh, they actually have Quark's mom to thank for that. Moogie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first episode of Quark's mom, you uh, they call her Moogie. And um, <laughs> they have to go back home to Ferenginar where they find out that their mother has started wearing clothes. Mother, get undressed this instant and making profit for herself which is a no-no on Ferenginar. Women can't make profits.
1: How dare they? She kind of
0: starts this whole cultural movement which changes their society. It was a fun episode with uh, the Ferengi. You got a really nice peek into what their their world is like.
1: She's the Susan B. Anthony of of this society.
0: Okay. uh, The last one I have was the energy whip used by the Ferengi to attack Boimler. in the original episode of TNG that they first appeared, they all used uh, energy whips, and that was their weapon of choice. It was nice to see that come back, but those were all the references that I found and understood.
1: Most of the references that we talked about when we were doing the show recap, those are the ones that were probably the most helpful.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But the the context uh, kind of in the the restaurant and just kind of around Ferengi, that was also very helpful.
0: So, I think that leads us to our last segment, which uh, would be to pick our favorite characters to place inside our menagenarium Mm -hmm. in Mike and Nick's miraculous menagenarium attraction. I'll take you home and lock you in a nice little cage and never, never, ever let you out. Do you imprison everything you like? Of course. Be so sexy, I'm gonna die. The Moopsie is Nars' favorite. Moopsie. In this segment, we pick a character from the episode who stood out to us and belongs in a safe and wonderful home trapped behind glass, two windows down from the Moopsie. Moopsie. Mike, who was your favorite character this episode?
1: I'm torn because my heart really wants to say Migglymo, Like, really, it really does. Just <laughs> the, the very brief moment that he was in there. And this is the second time that I kind of toyed around with that. I'm giving it to to Freeman. She negotiates the treaty and outsmarts Rahm and and Lita, which uh, that was a good move, Um, mainly because I've been there trying to help close sales with co-workers who are in over their head and don't know what they're doing. It's always nice to sometimes have an adult in the room in situations like that. So I'm giving it to, to Freeman with also a slight honorable mention to, to Boydler as well, and the eight hours of TV you watched.
0: I'm actually really glad that you picked Freeman. And rather than having a daily double today, because Freeman was mine as well, I'm actually well, going to pivot, give it to the sexy chocolate statue of Rutherford, because that should be forever preserved behind glass two windows down from the Moopsy. I love that statue. It's amazing.
1: Yes, I, I will fully endorse uh, that pick
0: so what do we have coming up <laughs> on next week's episode mike
1: uh our next episode of star trek lower decks will be season four episode seven a few badgies more uh however uh that will won't be our next episode in your podcast feed uh tune in on thursday as we bring you our first episode of loki season two episode one or a uh in that episode loki finds himself lost to time, and torn quite literally between past, present, and future. Uh, Until next time, please like, subscribe, uh, consummate the relationship with your closest platonic friend, and rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. Also, you could find us on social media. I am on Instagram, threads, blue sky, and serialized at mlhilty2452.
0: And you can find me on Blue Sky Twitter and Letterboxd at Jagged2319. You can also contact the show at geekspeaklouder at gmail.com or on Blue Sky at geekspeaklouder.bsky.social or by searching Geeks
1: Speak Louder Than Nerds. Until next time, I'm Nick Farrow. And I'm Mike Hilty. Thank you for tuning in to Geeks Speak Louder Than Nerds. Catchphrase.
0: Bye, everybody. Stop. I didn't realize that I wrote that funny joke. They wiped the floor, <laughs> Mr. Clean. It was an accident. <laughs> Sorry.